10 minutes it is before 8 p.m. and we go into our wrap of the top business stories and I'm joined to take a look at some of these stories by Nolwandle Mtombeni, a market analyst. Nolwandle, good evening to you and welcome. Hi, Bonga. How are you? Eesh, man, I, I could just hear from that side that uh, you've probably had as long a day as I have. Uh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm. let's maybe start off on that. I mean, uh, I don't know if uh, you managed to make it to uh, any of the lockups um, uh, for the budget. Uh, I, I saw some interesting things happening there, which uh, I'll, I'll certainly find out what was happening in a later conversation. But let's start off with that budget. W- what do you make of, uh, I guess, how... Uh, the Department of Finance was able to straddle the very tough, I guess, balancing act that they had to to do here. On the one hand, uh, put out a very credible debt management strategy. On the other, uh, make sure that, I guess, uh, the challenge of the crisis uh, isn't disproportionately felt by poorer households. Yes. So, you know, I think, you know, from my perspective, I mean, I'm in the finance industry, so I'm all about the, you know, those those hard numbers. And I think... This is what I said at the MTBS, that this guy kitchen sinks a lot of things. I mean, we're coming from an MTBS where, you know, debt to GDP was looking at 100%. And that was just, like, shocking. So you can imagine going into this, I mean, thinking, oh, gosh, we're going to go 120, 130. So those kind of fear came in. And to have projections saying, you know, you're going to have, you know, 88, you know, by, by 2025, 2024, and you're going to have the deficit down to 0.8 by 2025. It really is just a bit of a sigh of relief because I think the expectations were worse um, in terms of especially things like debts mm. and deficits. Um, but on the other side, you know, we've been he- hearing noise about, oh, tax cuts. I mean, they're going to be, I mean, uh, re- tax increases um, to, to you know, recoup $40 billion. And even the vaccine, obviously, there was noise, obviously, the last couple of weeks that's going to be funded through tax hikes. So I think, you know, going into this, the expectations was just, you know, all on the downside. Um, but mm. luckily, we had a few lucky elements, such as, you know, the obviously the mine, the, the, the commodity boom that just happened. And um, that obviously, you know, gave space to give us some relief, which we weren't expecting. Mm, mm, mm. Your view, Nolwaja, just on uh, some of the tax policy side of things, um, you know, uh, on the one hand, I guess, uh, the reductions of the corporate uh, tax, um, and then maybe uh, also on the other, I guess, this whole story around Section 12J uh, investment incentives, which uh, I think a lot of people have been uh, making a lot of noise about. Uh, I think there is uh, quite a, a lobby around this particular matter. Mm. W- what's your view on that side of things? So I think, you know, what the government is doing and what they've been trying to do since the pandemic began is that they are trying just to, you know, be, you know, suppose counter-cyclical in how they react to this. And they're really trying to to get consumer to get, give some relief and and for that to throw through in terms of, you know, revenue. So if you look at, obviously, you know, the collections are obviously down, but there's still room to, you know, increase the corporate tax, uh, the brackets, you know, above inflation, and to cut corporate taxes. The government wants people and business to spend. They want to get activity in back and in, back into the economy, and they understand that infrastructure alone and that building, I mean, the infrastructure spend alone is not enough. And also, there's, you know, there's no progress on that. I mean, you hear of the 340 billion infrastructure spend that's, you know, the pipeline of projects, but, you know, nothing is getting off the ground. So, you know, you have to have two levers. And one of that is those, those tax policies where they're going to say, look, let's give some relief, let's watch people spend. And I think 
what they did see is that from the rate cuts, there was mm. some activity coming through. So they think that there are actually, you know, some results of that. I mean, if you look at how the mortgage mortgage um, value bought in, I think, in one of the months last year, there was huge people, a lot of property buying because of those rate cuts came through. So I think, you know, coming from that, I'm thinking that's why they need, they decided to take this route because um, they didn't have to do anything, but they did something. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the Section 12J story, uh, I mean, I guess there's yeah. another element that I'd like to ask you, but but let, let me yeah. maybe hear you out on that one, which was mm. uh, really intended, I guess, to, to get some retail investment out to small and medium-sized enterprises and to expand yeah. employment. Uh, and it seems National Treasury, on the back of their review, feel like all of the people who got the money would have got the money anyway. Mm. So that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, this is how I see it. If you are investing, you know, in, in a VC, you're not doing it for, for the tax benefit. You surely can't be because the risk involved. So, and it's the kind of investment where you know you you know obviously put in capital into it. You might need to maybe put in more, and it's also very risky where you know the returns aren't guaranteed, but you know you think they will be. So I think you know at the heart of it, you know, if you look at the substance of the form, you know, investing in a VC, you know, should be because you're seeing that opportunity in there, and you know there are people who will take the incentive side of it, of, of the tax deduction of it or whatever, the incentive. But I think, you know, people who stand to benefit, there's still opportunity for them to benefit, especially since we've seen a lot of, you know, funding going to VCs boom. We talked about this, I think, two weeks ago, about people allocating funds, then increasing. And the tax is a benefit, but it's definitely not a decision made solely on that. So I think, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, it is going to be losing on the 12 J, but I think doesn't kill the industry. So, so I guess maybe let's shift away from from that one slightly uh, as we try and wrap this one up. And, and I want to hear your perspective, certainly as somebody um, in the world of money in the marketplace, on the signal that uh, the finance minister sent as it relates to public sector wages and the potential cost savings that could be derived from there. I mean, if, if you think about the four years uh, between 2020 right through to the end of 2024, just over 300 billion uh, in a saving uh, on the part of the Treasury. Um, what's the perspective, I guess, on how the market, one, would have received that, but also, two, how likely is it? Uh, what do you make of the resistance, potentially, that could come uh, from the public sector trade unions? So here's the problem. I mean, this is a conversation that's been going on for close to, you know, maybe 18, something, maybe 18, I don't know, maybe I'm over it, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it's been 12 months. But no, it's not 18, because I think it'll just be last year, we're talking about the wage bill again. So, and we've seen that there hasn't been any progress because on that front. So, and, you know, obviously from the onset, we've always known the numbers in terms of the saving from, you know, containing the, 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 the wage bill. So the numbers themselves, we, we know they are. No matter if he, if he brings another one, you know, next week, it's always been brought to the market and received by investors as a potential saving, you know, um, in terms of, you know, expenditure. But on the ground in terms of implementation, actually getting through it, getting through it and, you know, coming up with an actual outcomes is a different story. So it's one of those things where, yes, we hear the minister say it and we hear, you know, how what a the, the you know, the, the saving that you might get on it. But ultimately, we want to see some some something good happen from the talks that are currently happening in the negotiations. Mm, and mm. that is the only important signal that you can ever see in the market is coming up with an, an outcome saying, hey, we reached this agreement. Yeah. I mean, what concerns me, Manolo, is that, you know, it doesn't seem like there's some 
you know, table or where there's a negotiating platform or somewhere where uh, that is happening. It seems like, you know, the resolution mechanism is still the courts in this case uh, because, I mean, the unions have made it clear they're going to appeal the matter. Um, so, so that doesn't give me the confidence that there's any dialogue to resolve this on an enduring basis. Because remember, we've got uh, um, public sector coordinating bargaining council negotiations coming up in the next mm. while again. You know, the, the last think. three years, we're going to have to negotiate once again. Uh, and it doesn't really inspire confidence if people are already, you know, staring each other down in the courts. Exactly. So I think, and that's why, you know, they the government also felt need to make sure that on the revenue side, because obviously this is on the expenditure side and it's a huge unknown and it's really, it's just an unknown. It's just one of those things where you don't know how it's going to, you know, end up with, um, there obviously there'll be resistance. So it's a very, you know, undetermined in terms of how it's going to play out and whether they'll be able to realize those expenditure savings that they're counting on. But if you can do something in terms of revenue to get some activity and get the output and the collections up, I think you've got a bigger chance um, than, you know, what will happen for the expenditure side. Yeah, yeah, we live in, uh, we live in some very, very tough times. Uh, uh, Let's take a look at the SOE side of things. Um, I mean, what do you make of uh, the ESCOM uh, unbundling and I guess some of the timelines we've received there, but also some of the other support that's come through for the likes of the Land Bank, SAA and others? So just, you know, in ESCOM, you know, my problem is, is that I was just load shed on stage four three weeks ago. So <laughs> <laughs> you can unbundle it seven times. Hey. <laughs> but the lights will go off. Hey. In twenty twenty one. So, you know, I, I wish I can say I understand exactly mm. what's happening at FCOM because obviously when you're told that, you know, obviously we're going to do this, we're going to do that, have a plan, and you listen to the plan, it sounds good, it sounds credible, it's like, you know, these who have applied their minds to it, oh, unbundling. You know, the planning, it all sounds like, you know, there's a lot of work put into it. Um, but as long as we're still having these small little problems of, you know, out of the blue, you, you know, trying to work and next thing you get load shed, I mean, I think the focus is no longer about the unbundling. I don't think anyone even cares about what, when, it, when it happens or what stability of the uh, you know source and the, the supply of electricity mm. is an important thing ultimately it doesn't matter that that needs to be sorted out and i think for me that is an important thing and as far as soes look i feel like he didn't want to you know talk about it too much i was very selective about what he brought up this time it was very selective um he you know made sure he told the good things but not the bad things like you know we he had Unless I missed it, but he didn't even mention, you know, in terms of the, you know, the grants and, you know, basically how he, the, the loan is getting a, a huge increase. Uh. So, so, he did, so even on SOEs, there wasn't much mention. Um, he did mention land bank, which is, which was, which I think is very necessary because I think land bank, um, in terms of the mandate, are very core cool and very important. And if you look at how they're performing, if you say before, before, you know, a few years ago, it wasn't sure. as bad. Um, so, you know, there's still some support, some of the SOEs, light on detail, light on detail again. Mm. And obviously, Actually, I, 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 you know, I'm hoping uh, just on the land bank story, uh, sorry, mm. I mean, I'm hoping that the bumper harvest is going to at least do something to that loan book uh, of, of the land bank, because I think a mm. lot of uh, the hit that they took, uh, which uh, mm. nearly led to a default and a potential cross default, um, had a lot to do with the drought, had a lot to do with many of the farmers in their underlying portfolio finding themselves in a very tough environment. And I hope those things turn around with the rains that have come. 
exactly. No, definitely. I mean, I think we 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 do need land bank around. And you know, I looked at the financials when they came out uh, two weeks ago, and it looks like it's still going to get worse before it gets better. I think um, I think we're going to probably have another quarter of declining, you know, revenue and increased in, in payments. So it's probably not going to be a good story for maybe the next six months either. But you know, it, it's okay. I think I feel comfortable with the injection compared to all the other ones, other yeah, FOEs, which yeah. you know, yeah, are just draining. Eesh. I, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, and then I guess when it comes to SAA, I mean, uh, some of your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, it, it continues. Obviously, they mentioned that, you know, there's progress, strategic partner. Um, you know, I think if I were to, you know, hear an actual plan, and if, if you think about it, ESCOM, you know, they've came and they gave us a plan about spinning the two different units and how everything will run and everything. We don't even have a detailed plan in terms of SAA. Mm. Where's that plan? Yeah, yeah. Never mind who the strategic partners are. What is the plan? So, mm. and if you think about it, so wait, it, wait, wait, wait let, let me try and understand you. Like, this, are you suggesting that we're talking up a strategic partner without a clear plan of what the new sort of phoenix that's going to rise from the ashes of the old SAA is going to look like? My thing is, we don't have that clear plan. Mm. Mm. Obviously, there's a plan between some people, but as long as we <laughs> injected money in it, I mean, you know, it's like people making decisions about your, about your, about your money, but you don't know what it is, you know. So Eish, <laughs> that's what it really is. We keep hearing about a strategic partner, but then what is the strategy? <laughs> what Same is the strategy? No, no, let's shift away from the budget slightly. Sorry, sorry about that. I mean, I think we're going to be having quite a lot of those conversations this evening um, Mm. about all of the difficult trade-offs, all of the messy parts of the budget and all. Mm. Uh, But uh, I want us to take a look at uh, one of the players here in the retail space, Franchiser, uh, the Spur Corporation. I mean, I find find them always, uh, I guess, an interesting uh, entity here. It seems, uh, I guess, many of their franchises, as would have been expected, falling on some tough times. Yeah, so, I mean, I know even in the budget they talked about the tourism industry, but I think the, you know, the leisure industry also falls in that, in that bracket in terms of, you know, you know, needing help because it's still a very tough environment. And mm. the biggest problem is that Spirit is a sit-down restaurant, it's not a takeaway. So, and it's, it's a family place. What families are not doing is going to Spur every weekend anymore, waking up and going to have breakfast at Spur. Um, mm. We're buying eggs and making them here and, you know, doing Even everything at home, you know? <laughs> so, and that'll be the difference if you look at results going forward between, you know, your, your, your quick service restaurants, quick service chains versus your sit-down restaurants and your casual mm. dining. It'll be different because of the fact that you know, there's been those restrictions. Level three, for example, um, you know, which obviously had curfews in place and strict, and obviously alcohol sales weren't allowed. So all mm. those things factor in. So I think it's it's going to be a much longer recovery for that part of the restaurant industry where to sit down. Um, and it's obviously when these activities obviously resume, they're also going to benefit. But mm. it definitely makes sense that they continue to have a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean, I guess, you you know, when you think about an entity like that, and um, they spoke about the voluntary retrenchment process they went through, 
Uh, when it's slow on their end, I guess it has a ripple impact upstream, be it in the manufacturing of their sources, right through to some of their supplier base as well. Um, on, on, on what basis do, do you anticipate any recovery in this particular segment of the marketplace? So where people are sitting down, uh, it's a family type uh, uh, business, because it's certainly not Spur that is in that sector. There are many others as well. Yeah. So I think, you know, I was saying this earlier, I was in a, in a previous you know, post-budget <laughs> interview, and I was saying, look, ultimately, if you want to have these revenue expectations around, you know, you know, getting get improved revenue, you need to not mess up the vaccine because the vaccine is actually not just important from a public health perspective. It's important from a public sentiment perspective. And as long as the sentiment is as it is now, where people would, you know, spend less, go out less, and have those restrictions are in place, then you're not going to have that activity that's going to create, drive the economy back up again. So the first thing is just get the, you know, procurement and the and the vaccine rollouts right. And that will, first of all, get people more comfortable and, you know, give them more confidence to go out and spend. And with that, as soon as that activity resumes in the economy, that's obviously the retail sector and the restaurant sector will be the first beneficiaries of that because also there's a lot of pent-up demand in certain characters where people have actually not been spending as much. In fact, household savings have also increased um, dramatically over the period. Um, and there is a level of pent-up savings where people, if they were probably comfortable, they would be spending more than they have been. So we need to manage that. And then I think, yeah. you know, but it's going to be a process. Certainly going to be a tough environment, not just for, uh, I guess, uh, the public service, but uh, many of those in the private sector as well. Nolwandle, as always, a pleasure to uh, catch some rest. It certainly has been a long day. Take care. You too. Thanks. That there was Nolwandle Mtumbeni, market analyst, uh, joining us this evening for our wrap of the top business stories. We're going to take a brief break now. When we come back, Busi Sibego, Isaiah Mshanga and Michael Sachs join me. It's our budget uh, analysis.